Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast with your hosts, Laz Michaelides and Felipe Amorim. Welcome back, guys. Felipe, how are you doing, man? How are you doing, Laz? I'm okay. How's everyone doing? Yeah, man. I had a great uh, couple of days, you know, actually three amazing days. Went to Paris for, for a day to see a couple of friends of mine uh, whom I haven't seen in years. And then I, I went to the O2 Arena for two consecutive days to see John Fogerty and Elton John. So, and it was John Fogerty's birthday on his gig and Elton oh, John's really? last gig ever in London because he's, well, apparently he's retiring. Did you just did you just sleep in the seat you were in? Like, <laughs> no, I'll see you tomorrow, yeah. No, I, I booked a hotel, so I became a tourist in my own town. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice because you can you can kind of um you can turn off, can't you? Because when you book a hotel in somewhere you live, you yeah. can kind of be like, well, I know home's just over there, but uh, and this is where I normally gig, but I'm in a fucking hotel. It's like <laughs> exactly. yeah, I'm not yeah. tourist now. You know what I mean? They have a proper holiday, you know. Yeah. Uh, how's life in the country? <laughs> It's fine. It's not too bad at all. We've had lovely weather recently. Um, I got I got loads of fields outside. Um, in our back, well, like our garden links on to like fifteen to twenty farmers' fields. And this this year they started. They decided to grow rapeseed instead of barley. Which do you know? Uh, it's so, a bright yellow one. Yeah. So it's really nice to see all the colours here. But isn't that just so funny? Like you know, the guy. The guy that's not. City, that's not very rock and roll. The guy in the city he's like, yeah. And I was in Paris for a day, and I saw John Fogerty and Elton John. How's country life, lads? It's great. The farmer has planted a different kind of seed this year. <laughs> <laughs> Completely different pace, but we're still rocking, right? We're still. You caught rocking. me off guard with that question. How's the country? And I looked around. <laughs> and I thought, shit. What can I say that's interesting? And I thought, actually, do you know what? That's not interesting, is it? But anyway, let's get on to something that is interesting. We're going to do another album today. Uh, and the album we are doing is Eat em and Smile by David Lee Roth. Um, I'm going to give you the quick album details and I'm going to hand it over to Felipe. So the name of the album uh, is Eat em and Smile by artist David Lee Roth, formerly of Van Halen, released in July 1986 and recorded across America in New York, Berkeley and Tarzana. Uh, the last two cities are both in California. The length of the album is 31 minutes. The genre associated with it predominantly is glam metal, which we'll have to look into after. Um, the label was Warner and the producer was Ted Templeman. So I'll hand it over to Felipe, but I'll start off with a question. Uh, Felipe, why did you choose this album for this episode? Right, uh, for a very simple question. You know, um, I'm, I might be slightly obsessed with drums. Uh, you, might, you might have no reason. Really? That. I mean, just, yeah, just a bit? Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, so... Probably, it's hard to say that, but probably my favorite drummer is a guy called called uh, Greg Bissonette, who is the drummer in this album. He's is like everyone's drummer, really. He worked with loads of uh, artists uh, from jazz to rock and roll. Um, and uh, he's currently touring with Ringo Starr and Zor Starr Band. Uh, I mean, you know, you check the guy's CV, he played with everyone, and he's a really, really cool drummer and really cool guy. Is, and he, he's he's already played for Spinal Tap, right? Exactly. He's Skippy yes. Scuffleton, I think that's the name. <laughs> <laughs> that's his name with Spinal He's the only surviving drummer of Spinal Tap. Because the others all died from combustion, didn't they, or something? <laughs> or something like that, or choked in their own vomit. Yeah, yeah but... He, he survived, apparently. You can't, dust, uh, you can't dust for fingerprints on vomit, can you? <laughs> you can't, no. <laughs> uh, basically, yes. Yeah. So he's just the only surviving drummer from Spinal Tap. Uh, he's, he's such an amazing character, great drummer. And obviously, I follow everything he does. And um, uh, I'm, I'm not into this genre at all. So heavy rock in general. You know, I'm more into classic rock and rock and roll. Mm. Uh, and heavy rock is something that I'm discovering through this, this show and through... Uh, our conversations and you know and whatever people recommend me and uh i knew a couple of songs from the album i knew the videos which, which are like proper 80s and obviously i'm familiar with david Lee roth uh but when i started researching everything that greg bissonette did and I, I i bumped into this album and i was like blown away that that's that is a phenomenal rock album by all means and i think um it's it's just it's it's difficult to actually put this album into the the category that usually people associate it with because yeah. you said you said glam rock right and I, I'll well, tell you why I, I find this album yeah glam, oh, well, glam metal glam metal 
that's yes. that's not what I, I I didn't choose that. That's what I've seen it associated with. It's on the Wikipedia article, and others have said it, which I found interesting. So I didn't. I I thought it was way more towards rock than metal. Um, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think well, glam metal, glam rock, or whatever. Some people call it hair metal. Yeah, you know. Uh, and I think those uh, genres are usually are defined more by the way the bands look than the music. Obviously, there's loads of music yeah. similarities, but it's a, there's a lot of, at that point in time, all the bands were trying to look a certain way. You know, it's all about the hair and, and, and the way they dress. And it's all like they dress louder than they sound. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, it's, and it's, yeah, it's super cool. I mean, I, I like it. I, I like the vibe. It looks a bit, a bit, I mean, when you look at it now, it looks a bit old, doesn't it? Like, it doesn't look cool. Well, this, it's know, funny. We, we were watching, me and my wife were watching um, uh, some Pantera videos yesterday. And as you guys know, Pantera, a very, very heavy metal band. And But before they became a heavy metal band and released their uh, debut album, Cowboys from Hell, they were a glam metal band. And there's footage and videos and photos of them dressed up in the tight spandex with long hair, perms, makeup <laughs> on. And you can you just imagine, I mean, we know what we know of Pantera and how heavy they are and how aggressive they look. But five years earlier, they were dressing up just like people in Motley <laughs> Crue and Poison, you know, those kind of bands. But yeah, image was a big part of it, wasn't it? Hair, makeup, the outfit fits bright colors you know just looking the part and basically looking like a rock star wasn't it yeah yeah exactly and, and david lee roth uh, did a couple of interviews at the time about it and he 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 wanted to make it clear that he was in charge of everything in terms of like uh, you know because he wasn't a member of van halen anymore that's his project and let's face it he had the time and the money to do it so he he wanted everything to go his way and uh he had total control over the way the videos would look and the way the band would dress and there was a concept but um he said a couple of things about the the, the, the genre and uh, and what he was trying to bring to it and he actually said uh that he he was taking the music very seriously because people he said it was a misconception that people think that all oh, those guys are just they don't take it seriously they're just having fun dressing like you know uh, it's yeah. the, the way they dress is kind of really uh, it's intentionally funny you know and and yeah. so if you dress like that you're probably not taking your music seriously I said no we take the music very seriously and he said this is not kids stuff so that's not that's not for kids well, it's like proper I think something, well something important to mention quickly is that he's actually part of the band slash album that supposedly invented glam metal. Van Halen's debut album, Van Halen yeah. in 1978, we did an episode on it um, uh, a while back now, maybe a few months. Um, that album kick-started the glam metal movement because what you had is you had heavy metal music, you know, chugging distorted guitars, shredding guitar solos, a heavy uh, drum and bass rhythm section. You had that meeting lovely melodies, vocal harmonies, anthemic choruses, and the way they dressed as well. So David Lee Roth was already um, a, a, a staple character in glam metal uh, as a whole because he was one of the guys that pioneered and innovated it. And I think it's really interesting what you said about him saying this is this is uh, not kids' stuff anymore, this is big boys' stuff. And I think that would go a long way to explain the band he's chosen because you mentioned Greg, Greg, Greg Bissonette, but the band is a star-studded lineup of three members who are arguably, maybe not anymore, because they're all older now, obviously, but arguably at this time were the best players of their instruments in the world. And I'm not talking including guys who spend eight hours a day in their bedroom tapping guitars. You know, we're talking about the professionals, the guys who have been playing for all the names and doing this and that. So as Felipe mentioned, you've got Greg Bissonette on drums who played for Ringo Starr's All-Star Band and uh, Spinal Tap among a variety of other artists. You've got Billy Sheehan on bass who played for Mr. Big, Talus, uh, and more recently he's played for the Winery Dogs. And you've got Steve Vai on guitar who played for Alcatraz and more importantly to me, who had just come from playing with Frank Zappa. And just like, if you want to know how talented some of these guys is, or some of these guys are, all you need to know, uh, you know, we'll put the video on the um, on the show notes, is Steve Vai's audition process to get into the Frank Zappa band. <laughs> all right. Frank Zappa was a master technical musician and a composer, and he knew what he wanted in a band member. 
Um, yeah, I'll put, I'll put the video in there. Basically, it's quite funny. Zappa says to him, right, I want you to play a solo using this scale. And, and Zvi goes, okay. He goes, okay, now play it, but avoid all of the all of the minor notes. And he goes, right, shit, okay. He goes, great, now play it, but don't use this finger. And he goes, and he goes, and he says one more thing. He says, okay, now play it, but augment all the flats. And Vi goes, I can't do it. And Frank Zappa goes, oh, really? Well, I hear Linda Ronstadt's looking for a new guitarist then. <laughs> <laughs> for those who don't know, Linda Ronstadt was like your middle-of-the-road pop artist. Because <laughs> oh. Steve Vai couldn't do one of these audition things. He was like, well, why don't you go and play for the pop star? But seriously, you know, like I said, I'll put that video in the show notes. But um, to all of those gentlemen are monster, monster players at what they do. You've mentioned Greg Bissonnet. I've studied Billy Sheehan's stuff because obviously I'm a bass player and I know Steve Vai, what he's done from the Frank Zappa I've listened to. And with you just having said that David Lee Roth was like, this is big boy stuff, it kind of just clicked. I was like, right. Uh, Yeah, and I think he had to prove he was a rock star in his own right. He wasn't like, oh, that guy from Van Halen. Also, if you come from a band with such fantastic musicians like like the Van Halen brothers, right? Because they they were like out of this world in terms of playing and being creative. Yeah. So how do you top that? Because you you know you want to prove something. You want to prove <laughs> you, you are better than your original band or whatever. There are very uh, few people you can go to who are better. Yeah, than exactly. And and you know some people or you know most guitar players I know consider Steve Vai. Uh, the best guitar player ever. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I find really hard to consider any musician the best ever. But there's a reason yeah. why so many people consider him the best because he's yeah. he he can play stuff that no one else can. So he's just uh, an absolute uh, star. You know. Uh, having said that, I mean, with you know, after talking about Greg Bissonnette and and, and Steve Vai, um, I think Billy Sheeran is the star of the album. Interesting. Really. No, I, I really- just. Because, you know, uh, shredding on guitar is kind of um, commonplace in in rock music, although Vi could could do it and still can do it better than anyone else. Yeah. And um, heavy, loud drumming and all that stuff, you know, you've seen that before, but that level of bass playing, the fact that Billy Sheeran doubles some of the guitar phrases, I mean, it's not... It's not that easy to follow Steve Vai, right? So, so yeah. if you do if you do all that stuff on the bass, this at the same level as the guitar, and uh, to play those amazing bass lines and still groove, he's one of the few guys in the business who can do it. I think that the the, uh, the idea behind the lineup, and I think to be honest, the best thing about the album is the lineup, is the fact that you not only have a great singer, but he picked not. Uh, uh, some of the best guys in the business, but the best guys. All in the of business. them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the session, a proper hired guns, guys who could be working with anyone. And he wanted them to sound like a band, and they all sound like they're having a great time all the time. And if you look at the videos, they they clearly enjoying themselves because they had they had the freedom. Again, we keep talking about rock and roll being freedom in music so yeah so they had the freedom to play whatever they wanted to in you know in a certain way so you know you, you got some patchy choruses you know mel- melodic like 80s stuff but then the, the guitar sometimes is so unpredictable you know the the, the whole the phrasing and 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 all that shredding that happens throughout the album yeah. some of those things they come out of the blue you're not expecting yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, a drum feel or or, or, or bass feel, something like that, and and just they simply happen at some point, and 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 it's just it 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 blows your mind every single time. So I think yeah, uh, I think yeah, the lineup is the best thing about the album, even more than the songs who are all uh, which are all uh, great in my opinion. But the the, the lineup is just uh, you know, what can you say about them? I think they I were think- bold and unpredictable, you know. And they definitely challenged the limitations of their genre. Yeah, well, and further, because they pushed into other genres, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I I think from the start, I'll be be honest, I'll tell you my thoughts. I I don't want to come across negative, but but I I wouldn't say I liked the album. Um, I, I wouldn't go and listen to it again. But what you can 
undoubtedly appreciate that and that's just personal taste that's me you know um that there is a level of technicality and sometimes you sit there and wonder is it necessary is this as we call it before when we talk in the prog episodes we call yeah. it wankiness because that's what we call it it's like, yeah, instead of playing music he's just wanking on his guitar um you you do wonder sometimes if it is all necessary but i thought I don't know, there's some songs where I, th- I felt, oh, okay, it's just gone over the edge for me, a bit too wanky. But most of the songs, I thought it was really delicately done. I thought you had flashes of guitar brilliance in like a really fast and well-played riff, um, then followed by uh, a sweep, like, and that, like you said, Billy Sheehan doubles it. And you're just yeah. like, hold on, where did that come from? <laughs> but it, it, when I heard it for the first time, I got to the end, I wasn't overly impressed because I didn't necessarily enjoy how the album sounded to me. Because like I said, I thought, well, is this just a bit too technical for the sake of it? And I went into their thinking, well, this is like David Lee Roth is a guy with lots of money who who maybe can't write songs well enough. And so he's hired the best guys to make his songs sound good. But I've listened to this album, I think, five times this week. And each listen got better and better because I I felt like I, I started to understand more what he was going for. Yeah. And that was trying to perfect a level of musicianship that he, ne- he might not necessarily have had before and take a simple genre. You know, we say, I, I, I sit there and I say glam metal is a simple genre, but arguably, you know, some of the, some of the best metal guitarists played glam, you know, people yeah. like Randy Rhodes who played for Ozzy Osbourne, arguably the best guitar metal guitarist ever. So I'm not saying glam's easy, but that because of the, because of the mainstream success that glam metal was having in the mid eighties onwards, um, or from the early 80s onwards, it's hard to be taken seriously, as you said at the start of the episode, with the looks, with the yeah. songs, with the power ballads, with the hair, with the makeup. And as it went on and on, I noticed two things. One, um, David Lee Roth wanted to be taken seriously. And two, David Lee Roth was not just a man paying for his rubbish songs to be recorded. He was as integral to the album as they were, I think. His, that is his really, song, really true. Yeah. His songwriting was really good. And it's just, I just, I, I, normally if I listen to an album and I don't like it, I'll kind of be like, okay, that's it, you know. It, it is it is what it is. I'm happy I've listened to it, but I've, not for me. And I still, still now, if you say to me, do you like the album? I'd probably still say, mm, it's okay. But the album but they got better and better each time i listened to it and that's because i'm mainly a music guy mainly i focus on the instruments before the the lyrics or the vocals yeah but as i started paying more attention to the vocals you hear what david lee roth brings yeah and he brings it's it's almost like i wish i hadn't have known that the musicians playing on the album were on it because i wonder then if i'd have just sort of been like oh shit that's a bit technical for for a david lee roth album <laughs> without knowing it's steve Vai, you know yeah but, yeah what am I trying to say that David Lee Roth brought more than just songs to this album he brought a level of performance that I believe matched the others maybe not technically maybe didn't do something as technical on the vocals as Billy Sheen did on the bass but it still feels like he did yeah exactly and maybe if the vocals are not that technical you know maybe that 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 means it's more uh how can I put it? It's more human sometimes, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, and it communicates. And you being the front man, the most important thing is to be able to communicate with people, really, to deliver a message, even if the message is like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which is which seems <laughs> to be in this scenario. Uh, that again about, about the band, there was, there's one thing he says about them that I, I think is the best way to describe those musicians. Okay. He said they both are book learning and street smart. And that's a really, really cool way of defining uh, a musician because we know there's loads of academic guys, you know, the book learning guys. So they they learn everything from the music books and they understand all the theory behind it, but they're not street smart. They can't just jump on stage and improvise with a band. And you have a a lineup in which every instrumentalist can play anything. And they had like an endless vocabulary of musical ideas to to serve 
the yeah. lead singer. You know, I think I think I think they got it right. Um, I have my favorite songs in the album, but in terms of performing flawlessly, you know, they they did it in every single track. So. Yeah. You can argue about, oh, maybe this is not my kind of music, or maybe this song is not as great as the other one, but they played extremely well in every single track, yeah, every single every bar. Song. Yeah, and yeah. one one interesting thing about it, we uh, uh, we keep going back to the, the the you know the fact that nowadays people record bar by bar and they don't they overproduce stuff. They don't actually play like a band. Yeah, I I didn't expect to hear this from. Uh, 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 from an interview uh, by Steve Vai, but he actually said this was the most organic record I've ever made. Wow. Interesting, isn't it? After yeah. playing with Zappa, after, you know, and, and, and he, he, he made his own albums after this and uh, they all phenomenal. Greg Bissonette played in some of them, you know. Oh, really? And Yeah, yeah. So um, you, you, you would think that Steve Vai have done impressive things and he's got an amazing career, but to say that this was the most organic album, it really means something with a guy mm. with a resume like him, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And <clears throat> I suppose with what we said about Van Halen and their debut album, organic might not be the word you would think to associate with it because it sounds polished and produced, isn't it? But if I if I remember correctly, Van Halen, the the, the album, that was also done like as a band, wasn't it? Recorded. Yeah, I think by, so. I think they did, it? yeah, pretty much like yeah. So that just so, comes down to the production then, isn't it? That's a so great maybe, production. Maybe it was Lee Roth's idea. So he maybe yeah. turned to Steve Vai. I don't want you to record bar by bar. I don't want you to, you know, uh overdub a lot of shit. I just wanted you to go and play. Yeah, and they you played know, like a band, and they sound like a band having a good time. That's exactly what I got a sentence like that in my <laughs> monologue. Yeah, it's great. Um, one really interesting thing, and again, something that I was very surprised to read. Um, they all of them. I, I I don't know if that's factually correct, but all of them have a songwriting credit. Yeah. Or at least there's a song that was written by Vi Roth and uh, Sheehan. Billy Sheehan brought one song from his other band, Talus. There's David, David Lee Roth and Sheehan writing songs together. I just found it quite unusual that that David Lee Roth, being the being the main man, would in a sense allow or have his music tampered with and touched by others. But then again, if you're going to have people come and touch your music, it's going to be those guys, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> also, if, it, if we have those guys, why not? You know, have the Utilize best of them skills. in the album. Yeah. yeah. Let them let exactly. them be creative. Let them. Uh, so basically, it's a band album. It's not a yeah. lead singer kind of solo yeah. album. Not really. It's got his name. The clever thing is to keep your name on the album cover and make it as your solo career. If you want to be in charge, and also if you have big name like he had at the time also apparently it was his decision to leave Van Halen so he yeah. probably knew what he wanted and I think he wanted to be bigger than them in mm. a certain way and I think it was worth the um, the effort and the attempt of doing something because I think it's really hard to compare it's really hard to to say that what Van Halen was doing at the time without him is you know better or worse than this it's just complete different things yeah and i think and i think it's he took a step in a, in a in a slightly different uh direction than than van haling uh although he kept the essence of the style yeah the, from what i've heard i haven't listened to the album 5150 which is the album that he did i think that's the album he did before he left van halen um, 1985. But I think he was uh, by that time replaced by. Um, so, Hager, so am I wrong? So was Sammy Hagar in Van Halen for the album? Uh, I think, yeah. Because, well, my point sure is, is that I've, uh, yeah, you have a check if you want. My point is, is that I've read people compare uh, these two albums because it's the album that Van Halen released that was at the. So maybe it was Sammy Hagar then, but. People were saying that it's not quite up to Van Halen level, but one song that is on that album, I think, is Jump, isn't it? That famous Van Halen song with the yeah, sick yeah. keyboard sound. And I thought there was there, there was some keyboards on Eat Him and Smile, but it did feel more like old Van Halen. Oh, no, that's Jump. So that's, yeah, that's that's with uh, Hager, yeah. It was that, Hager, that's yeah. The one, yeah. That's so, what includes Jump. I'm yes. Not, yeah. Yeah, I'm the not album's that familiar five, with the whole Van Halen discography, so, yeah. 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 Um, so I just found it interesting that this that this album did feel more hard rock and more heavy rock than 
I don't know what you want to call it, synth rock. You know, you think of that song by Van Halen, Jump. Again, guys, any song we mention in this uh, in this episode will be on the playlist in the show notes, so you can have a listen along whilst we talk. If we mention a song, you go and have a listen to it, so you're uh, so you're sort of keeping up with what we're saying. Um, but Jump is a very keyboard-heavy song, and I found that although there were keyboards on this album, it definitely had a heavier rock, old-school rock feel to it, didn't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think, and, and again, I think, I think this. Maybe this album uh, reminds me more of uh, um, Van Halen's first album than, than, for instance, the song Jump is, is yeah. way more into pop music than, although, you know, it's got impressive uh, drums and guitar, etc. But maybe this album is more rock than, than, yeah. than what Van Halen was doing with Sam Hager. Uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. Again, I, I, I'm not a big fan of those comparisons in the end because I think, when when a band splits up, when you have someone going solo and releasing a different album with a different band, uh, if you look into the positive side of things, it's like, well, now we got two great bands. How cool is that? You know, <laughs> exactly. out of one band, you got two great bands. I, you know, uh, that's how I, I, I look into things, and I think it's amazing that he did that and uh, and did his own thing before his band turned into shit. Because that sometimes happens when people are not. Um, and not happy to work together again. So yeah. what are the odds of them producing a great album if they hate each other? It might happen. It has happened in some cases, but it could have been a disaster for him to just continue with Van Halen. So why not doing his own thing? So uh, I like what they did without him, and I like what he did without them. He took hold of his career, didn't he? He grabbed it and said, I, yeah. I've made the decision of how I'm going to go forward with this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um Getting into the songs, is there any particular songs you want to talk about? Any, Man, any the, aspects? The, yeah, there are some songs. I mean, I, I, I could talk about all of them, but uh, I want to mention do the really fact like that they... Do you really like this album? Do you, do I you, did, like, do you I, really yes, love this album? Is yes, it one of your favourites? Yes. Well, oh, one brilliant. of my favourites, it, it, it's, it's, it's a big statement because... Um, Oh man, I don't know if I can. I, I don't know if I could come up with a top ten list. That's something for us to try yeah. one day in the show. I don't, okay. I don't know. We'll do uh, but <laughs> amongst the albums, there are not the kind of rock that I listen to is one of the best. You know what I mean? Like I don't mm. listen to to glam rock or whatever that is. You know, I, I don't. I don't care that much about that genre. And I think there's great yeah. stuff in it. It's just not my thing. But I mm-hmm. think in that kind of genre, no one has done anything better than this album. That's my opinion. So, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. really good point. Because of, the, like they've, because they've of taken, everything that we mentioned. Yeah. They've taken all the all the all the all the um standout characteristics of glam metal and they've just yeah. stuck them all on steroids and taken them up to eleven, haven't they? It, exactly. It's, it's basically like, okay, everyone is doing this as, as kind of a, as a joke. I'm gonna pick that joke and turn into something serious. Like that's grown up stuff. It's, this glam goes to eleven. This glam goes to eleven. Yeah. So, so if I need to mention the songs, right? Uh, there's a few covers in the album, right? There are. Uh, yes. uh, uh, I want to talk about the, uh, the the most unpredictable ones. Uh, uh, so you got Tobacco Road, which yes. is it's a blues folk song, like from the '60s, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, the, by, a, by a gentleman called John Loudermilk. Yeah, there's a there's a million versions of this song. I've played the song live with with some some blues bands, and it's there's there's a million versions of it. It's a really cool uh, uh, take on blues music because it's not it's got some elements of blues chord progressions and stuff. If you listen to the original, actually, you should put the link in there because it's it's super cool. We'll put it in the playlist. Uh, yeah. yeah, the one the the original uh, recording of that one. What's uh, the artist? Just some just like so uh, uh, the artist. I got his name here somewhere. I forgot. What is the name of the artist? We can't. We we need to have this. I've got the the, the songs written by John Loudermilk. Yes, that's him. Yeah, that's yeah. Him. yeah. I said that. Yeah. All right. That'll be in yeah. the playlist. Yeah. And Go I ahead. think it was released in 1960. So if we, oh, if we're well, wrong about about a thing or two. Just go out and Google it. <laughs> no, I'll find it. Don't worry. Don't worry, listen. So, yeah, find it. Put on put the link. Yeah. So <laughs> this like is a really old song, and they just obviously didn't play. As an old blues folk song, they turn yeah. into something else. It's really and, modernized, and, isn't and it? it doesn't sound to me like they really trying hard to 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 take it away from the essence of the song because they kept it short. Yeah, there's a really aggressive guitar on it, but so it's not nothing like the acoustic original stuff. But it's it's not a long. They didn't do an extended version of it. All the parts are pretty much the same. 
Well, can we come back to songs? Because just on that yeah. point, I want to tell you something that I forgot to mention that I that I really enjoyed about the album, and that is that one thing, one problem with getting musicians like this on an album and giving them freedom to sort of do what they want, and I'll say it, it's the, it's the dreaded S word, solos. And that might mean, and that's good. And what, what you find a lot is that they go on and on and on. And yeah. you have a two minute guitar solo followed by a one minute bass solo followed by a one minute drum solo. All the songs here are so short. I yeah. loved it. None yeah. of them, and you know, I talked about the wankiness and I talked about, is it sometimes too technical for its own sake? But it, ne- it never, it never tried to be that. In the short three-minute songs, you literally have only time for a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus. Crazy, flashy guitar solo with maybe a 30-second bass solo at the end. Verse, chorus. You know, it's like yeah. it's just a normal song structure. It is, and exactly. And the solos, I mean, if you want to shred, please don't do it for too long. I think that's basically that's the <laughs> philosophy, right? Yeah. Uh, if if Because I'm not a big fan of those five-minute guitar solos with a million notes. But if that happens for 30 seconds and it leaves you with that feeling of, oh, maybe I want yeah. a little bit more of this. So you got to wait for the next song or the next solo. So I think they, they, they did a great job of keeping, keeping the, the, the instrumental parts short, mm. short enough to be enjoyable. It just worked um, well with the song. Yeah, and with cool. enough notes to impress you. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah anyway, Matt, so just... you were saying about the songs. Let's go back to the songs. Yeah, yeah. so uh, back to so, uh, talking about shredding. If you listen to uh, track seven and eight, Elephant Gun and Big Trouble. Oh, yeah. Uh, Big Trouble is is a slow and groovy song, but the guitar solo is insane. I, I Whilst... found it quite deep purpley. Like funky oh, yeah. heaviness. Exactly. It? It's a bit more funky. And, and, and you know, it's, it's different than it. Whilst Elephant Gun is is fast paced, everyone shreds in the song. Yeah. Everyone, bass, bass guitar, really every, it's like it's yeah. insane. It's, it's a show off song, and they did it well yeah, again because they kept it short. Yeah, but it was uh, a show off song only when they get to the solos because the rest of it is a good song. The chorus is great, the verse is great. I thought it was brilliant that one. I really enjoyed um, Elef- what's it called, Elephant Gun? Yeah, yeah, Elephant Gun. Yeah, if if you um, so it's more like uh, if then you have like uh, track nine, bump and grind, which is. It, you know the lyrics and everything's typical 80s yeah. whilst you uh, uh, going crazy as a fantastic typical 80s video as well as yeah. those cheesy keyboards and 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 but some cool bass and guitar unisons so that's what yeah. I surprised bass, me in the song the bass you know, was playing harmonics in it and it had a little slap thing yeah. Uh, so for for listeners who don't know, harmonic is when you find a sweet spot on your on a on a guitar or bass string where you can you, you place your finger gently on top of the string and you pluck it and the note will ring out and you can remove your finger. And because it's been plucked in the perfect position, there's like an even amount of wobble either side. I can't really explain it. You should just oh, that's 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 a good it. explanation. Yeah. yeah. That is um, and so the note carries on and he does a whole solo like that, which is it's like and they sound very airy, very, you know, like that. And he does a whole solo of it. And then suddenly it's like he starts slapping them and it's just yeah. Crazy. Yeah, very technical. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. Some of the techniques that Bill Sheer and, and and Steve I came up with and and showed off, you know, that yeah. album. Uh, those those techniques are not. Um, you're not going to find them in, in other records. No, you're not going to find them played by any other musicians. Really, I thought. Um, I thought "Going Crazy" was the most Van Halen esque song on there. Good, very good point. And it's and it's yeah, and it's course. probably that one and "Bumping Ride" are the most eighties kind of glam yeah. rock songs in the album, my yeah. opinion. Uh, so, yeah, one interesting one is uh, um, Ladies' Night in Buffalo, which oh, I love that is one. funky. That is funky and has a lot more space. It's the first the first word I wrote, funky, yeah. All right, yeah. Can I, can I, go on. Yeah, and it's another collaboration uh, uh, by Steve Vai and Dave Lee Roth. So, but it's, it's it, it, there's a lot, I, I just think there's a lot more space. So you, you, it's like track four in the album, They've been shredding for a while. <laughs> they leave some room for you to just dance and enjoy. I like that one. It's, 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 I think, and it comes in a good point in the album. I agree. Yeah. Um, I found it almost a bit jazz fusiony. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a guitarist called uh, Lee Rittener who's got a song called Fly by Night, and I I studied it. We did it. At, um, oh, music it's, it's super cool. 
And uh, it just really reminded me of this. Just from, just elements. Uh, do you know what? Half of that could be the space because, again, if you put more guitars in there, it's heavy metal or rock. If you put less guitars and more chords, it's jazz, you know. But the fact that there was that nice balance between them, that's maybe what gave me that sort of jazz fusion idea. Um, a point you just make, uh, just made, what did you say? Yeah. So a point I've got is that despite the sometimes over the top, and I'm not talking about this album, I'm talking about these musicians, despite the sometimes over the top wankiness that these musicians can sometimes produce, and musicians of this caliber can produce, one thing you always have to give them credit for is that they always know how much or how little to play behind when someone else is doing their thing. Yeah. My favorite quote in music is, it's not the notes you play, it's the space you leave. My favorite <laughs> ever quote, the most important quote that was ever top spoken to me in my music playing career, because when you've got the world of music at your fingertips, and I'm sorry, I'm making that that shape because that's the shape of my bass guitar yeah. neck. Like that, you know, <laughs> for you, it's this, isn't it? Like everywhere. Yeah. But when you've got the world of music and every note, uh, at your fingertips, you just you got a, a plethora of ideas, and you're sat there saying, "Oh, I could do this. Look, I could do that. You know, what, what if I slap? What if I play chords? What if I what if I play faster? What if I play more notes?" And sometimes the best thing to do is to just not play. You know it as well as a drummer. Yes, well, exactly. Uh, in one uh, of the songs, uh, the ending of Elephant Gun. This yeah. is the note. This is what made me make the note. That's a heavy metal song, very technical solos galore shredding but at the end the last minute or so it just has this beautiful balance where billy sheehan does a bass solo and there's no guitar behind it and oh, then i think steve yeah. or vice versa but then steve vi does a solo and there's no bass or there's limited bass or is it drums anyway you listen to the end of elephant gun and you know what i mean it's just it it, it it can be good and a, oh it's brilliant he's got steve vi playing but if all steve vi does on that album is shred What's the point? Yeah. You need Steve Vai, who knows how to interact with other musicians. They they all give each other like a, a, yes. a space to shine, you know, like yeah. that's 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 your moment, you do your thing, I'm listening to you. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of uh, respect there. And it's interesting to, to, to notice that um, it's it's a rare occasion where hired musicians, hired guns like them, get paid to, to, to play more, you know. <laughs> You're getting paid to overplay sometimes, which is not it's not really what most producers would tend to do. That's what their and, solo but, albums are for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they, 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 but they they happen to do, be doing this in this album. It's amazing. Yeah. I want to talk about the first song, Yankee Rose. Um, it starts as a guitar and vocal conversation. Yes. And that's probably one of the best parts of the album. Because <laughs> you have a four on the floor, for those who don't know, it's when the, the bass drum, the kick drum plays to, to, to like once per beat, one, two, three, four. So that's the four on the floor going on, which is very simple, very basic. It just keeps the beat. So it makes you start to, you know, uh, uh, dance along with the song. So, okay, cool. I know what, what they're going for. And then right away you have uh, uh, David Lee Roth speaking and Steve Vai doing the same sounds on his guitar. So from the very first seconds of the album, they kind of letting you know what the album's all about. It's like, we have amazing musicians here and we're going to have fun, you know. Do you remember we when we did um, uh, Electric Ladyland by Jimmy yeah. Hendrix? There's a song yeah. on there, isn't he, where he, he has the conversation with the guitar. Yeah. It's almost like listening to to a child trying to learn the first words. I'm pretty sure I said it back in that video, but there's a video of a um, of a father and a father watching a baseball game with his son, and the father's saying, "Oh, didn't he do a good throw?" And the kid goes, "He's trying to talk." Yeah, I love yeah. <laughs> you have this. That it, it's obviously not Steve Vai's not trying to play the same notes that David Lee Roth's saying, but it, he's making the guitar. He's giving the guitar personality of its own, and when David Lee exactly. Roth's looking, he's answering back with it, and it's just exactly. So, so, and before playing any riff or any solo, he's making the guitar speak. So it's yeah. like, 
let's let's talk first, and then I'm going to yeah. start playing, you know, music. And then there's a part where there's and a the, part where David Lee Roth says something about a woman, like, "Oh, she looks mighty fine," and on the guitar he goes, "Wow, wow." Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't. And, and the interesting thing for me about the songs, like, it has a typical '80s kind of chorus, you know, catchy chorus, you know, vocal harmonies and stuff, but the bridge is completely unpredictable it goes like half tempo kind of vibe and it's it, and it's and it, and it's moody it's not like it's not the same you yeah. know aggressive vibe of as the rest of the song so really unpredictable uh was the first single from the album oh, really? and there's an interesting thing that i found about it which i'm not sure uh, how accurate it is i don't know i'm gonna say anyway because i find it's an amazing story uh that was the hundredth anniversary of the statue of liberty and the song is a tribute to the statue. So, uh, and I read so that well. there's yeah. a line: "She's a vision from coast to coast." So, yeah, yeah, it's not talking about a real lady. He's talking about a statue, a statue of Lady Liberty. Liberty. Lady yeah, Liberty. Lady Liberty. Yeah. So it's super Brilliant. cool, right? And the song also features in the the game Grand Theft Auto, uh, Auto oh, uh, yeah. GTA, uh, which is the um, well, which is about stealing cars, and it's a typical gangster game, isn't it? And I love it. I play that game. I don't know which version of it, but I don't follow the rules on that game. It just, you know, uh, I think kick people point. in the street and just run away from the police instead of doing the, the actual missions. But uh, it, in yeah. one of the games, uh, I think it's Vice City. I don't know which one is that one, because uh, I haven't heard the song in the game. So it's on the radio, on the rock radio of that game. So super cool. Uh, okay. Again, um, that's not my favorite song. I think it's a great opening track. They got it right to put it mm. to put it first. My favorite song has got to be "Shy Boy." Agreed. The, yeah. Uh, uh, is it? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to say that's one of the most epic drum intros ever. Not rock music. Yeah. Not like one of the most epic drum intros. Ever he really That's sets the, the the he really sets the field, doesn't he? He gets yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and it's a relentless like double kick groove all the way. So was, Greg Bissonnette, like just, metal. Yeah, yeah, he just skips like all the way, like the whole song, double kick, non-stop, uh, you know, and it's it's mental, and it's just like smashing the crash cymbals on the offbeats. Yeah, and if you look at that guy playing, he plays it. With no effort, you look at him. It's just like, yeah, this is easy, you know. Is, is he is he technically fantastic, Greg? He is technically amazing. He's yeah. Steve Vai's favorite drummer. That says something. That says yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> really. is, yeah. What did you think of the song "I'm Easy"? Because that's um, I tell you, the, as soon as I was about a minute in, and the first thing I thought was Stevie Ray Vaughan really gives off that kind of country yeah. blues, southern grit, you know, effect. Um, I love the horns and the brass band on it. Yeah, well, um, a, a common uh, element, I think, amongst all the musicians in the album, all of them, uh, is that they were all into big band music, so big band jazz music. They and all like those their, guys are. A lot yeah. of those guys are, those really top musos. You know, yeah, and Greg Bisson had started out as a jazz drummer. Uh, in, yes. In jazz. Yeah, he, he played with um, Maynard Ferguson uh, yes. in yeah. a big band, and he was – he collected jazz albums his dad was a drummer who you know introduced him to jazz music from an early age and he says in, in his youtube channel i think oh i sent you the link so please put i watched it, it. yeah it was really good yeah. i put it on the show notes so, as well. so he mentions the fact that everyone in the band knew a lot about music and not about history they knew what they're going on or what was going on with music and in, in the world and they knew about the history of every music genre and all of them enjoyed big band music. That's why they have uh, uh, those big band esque uh, uh, arrangements in the album. It happens in a few songs, well, and it, I think I think very, I'm easy. Yeah, is the third. Uh, yeah. No, 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 I was just going to say they're very small, little, small It's uh, small installments of big band music until the last song, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. It happened, yeah, the last song. Yeah, we're going to talk about it because. Uh, I'm Easy is the third uh, track in the album, is my third favorite. So the first being Shy Boy, as I said. Uh, so I think the fact that it, it, it's jazzy and bluesy, and it's got, in my opinion, the uh, the most melodic guitar solo uh, in the album, and it's really, really short. 
Yeah. Uh, I love it. Now, I'll tell I'll tell you which one is, is my uh, second favorite, uh, which is the last one. That's life. Oh, did uh, I spoil it? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Exactly, because uh, we're talking about that. So that's life. Is is well, it was famous, made famous by Sinatra, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, and they they all loved it. And I think they were talking about that song. And um, and um, David Lee Roth asked Greg Bisson if he knew how to play that song because he wanted to put it in the album. So yeah, I've played in the big band, etc. So they all like that stuff. They don't. They're not taking the pace of that kind of music. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not a joke, and I find quite uh, uh, um, bold to put a song like that in a rock album. Yeah, it, it, it can go terribly wrong. Yeah, no, it can unless you can swing. <laughs> yeah, well, I found it interesting because as as the song begins, you've got uh, Steve Vai doing like some guitar solo on on his guitar, obviously. And I thought, I don't know if I'm if if this if the whole song is going to be like a rock band trying to make that's life sound rocky. I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy this. But as he as the guitar slowly moves into the into the the first verse, the the, the rockiness almost like instantly. It's like here's how many tracks are there on the album? Like eight or nine? Ten, 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 ten songs. So it's like the first nine songs we've had a we've had a um uh, like an influx, an absolute punch of heavy rock music with yeah. complicated wanky music being played and then suddenly we get to the start of the 10th song you get that guitar uh, steve Vai doing his guitar thing but then it kind of fades out and we're transported to a totally new and uh, i was gonna say a new style of music but it's not because you can still hear that it's the same four musicians but we just transported away from the rock and into the big band jazz yeah. And it's played fantastically by all of them. And I have to say that one thing I did not peg David Lee Roth for was being a jazz singer. And it wasn't, he didn't sing jazz there. You know, he still had his rock voice, but my God, the, the vocals, man. It's so, oh yeah. Because we're talking so much about the musicians. We've got to give him the credit for leading a band like that. Yeah. And just performing amazing vocals on top of all those layers of, you know, yeah, great, uh, uh, instrumental parts and i think i think his expression his emotion and uh, he sounds uh, um you know the fact that he said i i am taking this seriously yeah he sounds like he's joking at some points when he wants to mm. and he sounds like he is a master of his craft when he wants to and yeah, and, yeah. and 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 that's yeah so one thing you can say about the album is it's not it's not predictable that's the thing. Not at all. No, just so many twists and turns. You know, like we said, blues, yeah. rock and roll, glam rock, glam metal, big band jazz at the end. It's like yeah. twists it, and turns all the way, but it I, still I, has a distinctive sound to it. Do you think? Yeah, I think that kind of genre, maybe, I mean, I'm probably coming to this conclusion right now. Uh, that kind of genre sounds repetitive and boring because people don't swing. I'm not saying they can't swing, but they deliberately don't swing. It's all very straight, like... Uh, you talking about, like, glam metal, glam rock? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. No one yeah, swings. Like it's just like... Yeah. And someone playing loads of notes on top of it, and, yeah. you know, and high-pitched vocals and heart vocal harmonies on the choruses, all that stuff. But when they swing like a big band at the end of the album, I think, uh, yeah, that's, that I think they couldn't have ended it in a better way. There's, there's a certain... Like I said, you've been hit with nine songs worth of incredible musicianship, incredible rock musicianship, and you kind of think you get to the end of the ninth song, and if you if you haven't looked at the track listing, you kind of like, there's one song left. What on earth could they do more that's going to make this album even better? And then they hit, yeah. they hit you with a cover of That's Life. Like, yeah, that, like the, yeah I, I would never think of that song for no, an album so like unpredictable. this. That's what you said. Yeah. Not, it's an unpredictable album. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah. So my three favorites are those: uh, "Shy Boy," uh, "That's Life," and "I'm Easy." Do Ooh. you have any any other favorites? Yeah. So I really enjoyed. So I think "Shy Boy" is my favorite. I also really enjoyed "Ladies Night in Buffalo," <laughs> "Elephant Gun," "Big Trouble," and "Yankee Rose." I really liked, and "That's Life" was a really good cover. I thought. Yeah. Um, so hard, man, because I'm sat here and I'm sat here of the opinion, which I've written down, which is that I, I didn't overall, I didn't overly get on with the album. 
and I, I do wonder if it's just certain sections of certain songs where I just felt maybe this was a little uh, too over the top because I'm looking down the list now and I'm sat here thinking and I go, well, just like I said to you, yeah, Shy Boy's my favourite. Yeah, Ladies Night in Buffalo's brilliant as well. Elephant Gun, Big Trouble and Yankee Rose too. And that's life's yeah. good as well. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, they're all good songs. And, you know, the, the, no one, the, there's no rule that has to say, oh, well, you need to decide whether you like an album or not. But I don't know what to say, man. I'm just confused. Like, in a really good way. In a really <laughs> well, good way. I think, I think, we've, I think we've done so many different albums, you know. Well, I think what it is, and this is really kind of, I suppose, arrogant and pretentious of me, is I don't, I think I don't want to like the album because I don't, normally like this kind of music where people are showing off for the sake of it. But as I said at the start of the episode, nine times out of 10, they got the balance of just not showing off. You know, the difference between showing off and not showing off, they got it just right. So I think I don't want to like the album because I don't like pretentious music that is only there to play as many notes as you can. But yeah, when I listen to it, you can't help but sort of smile when when Billy Sheehan does a bass fill. You're like, oh yeah, that was good, doesn't it? Eat them and smile. <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a good album. It's a really good album. Um, yeah. Do you have anything to say? No, I, I just want to hear a monologue. Oh, okay. Here we go. All right then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a really fun album to listen to. It sounds like a band who are having a lot of fun and enjoying playing the music that they are creating. And with some shared songwriting credits, it feels like a treat to the listener. I think they've accomplished and written across a variety of styles to a really good level. You've got glam, funk, jazz, blues, rock and roll, and big band. But each song does have a personality and a cohesiveness to the other songs, which tells you it's all part of a collective group. I can't say I love the album. If I'm being honest, when I hear some songs, I'd rather just go and listen to some Van Halen or some heavy metal. But it's a treat and a pleasure to hear all of these musicians play together. There are a lot of flashy moments of brilliance from the musicians. And you'd assume that of all the people on this album, that David Lee Roth's musicality and musicianship would fall short. Not because he's not good, but because the others are virtuosos in their instruments. But his melodies, vocal technique and execution really keeps the focus of the music where it belongs. Despite the incredible talents of Greg Bissonette, Steve Vai and um, Billy Sheehan, the attention should be on David Lee Roth. Amazing. Yeah. Because I totally agree. I agree with that. Yeah, Yeah. I I think... It's like I said before, repeating myself, it's easy to get carried away with the musicianship and let the vocals just be a footnote because, uh, you know, guitarists are going to see this and go, Steve Vai, bassists are going to see this and go, Billy Sheehan, drummers are going to see it and go, Greg Bissonette. And I don't think, you know, David Lee Roth, I don't, I'm not a singer, so I don't know, but he isn't of the... I'd say he's just the he's just the level below the Freddie Mercury's, the Ronnie James Dio's, isn't he? Yeah. Unless I'm wrong. Well, he's not, he he's wasn't just, famous for his technique, maybe for that's, his that's style. Probably what, that's probably know. what I mean. So I feel like the others are all at the top of their game, and David Lee Roth is maybe one step lower. But when you hear the finished product of the album, it doesn't feel like he's one step lower. He, well, he, he, he had like part of that band. He had the self confidence that a band leader has to have. He had the ideas that frontman has to have, you know. Like if you wanna if you wanna be in charge of of a project like that, you gotta know where you're going. And he clearly knew, and he wanted he wanted to prove he was he he could rock without Van Halen, and I, I believe he did. You know, that's a I, that's I, a really good point. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that the album was a statement of his his own uh, talent and his own ability of directing a band. And uh, yeah, amazing. I mean, if I, I do recommend a couple of things. One is if uh, you need to listen to this album if you're learning an instrument or if you yeah. want to, you know what I mean? It just, yeah, if you're learning how to play guitar, bass, or drums, you've got to listen to the album. And uh, the other thing is something maybe I should have said this before in other shows. Every time I listen to the albums uh, to prepare for, for, for the show, I listen to them on headphones and on a speaker so i have my my roland speaker here i'm not i don't get paid to to promote them I'm just saying that that's for my electric drums so it's kind of a, a a monitor for my for my drums and uh so it's like if you have high quality speakers or or even you know for an amp or something that you can listen to it as if you're in a concert just do it and then listen to 
the album again on headphones with your eyes closed, listening to every detail in the album. Do that with any album you like, and um, you're gonna have you're gonna have an, a complete different experience when comparing these two ways of listening to an album. I don't know if you do that, Lars, but I do that. You know, I like it. Yeah, well, when, especially when I listen to a new album, especially when, when one of my favourite bands put a new album out, I have to immerse myself. I have to close yeah. the blinds, turn the lights off. Uh, my dad always told me that when he first listened to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, he got his speakers, because back then you didn't have headphones, you know, yeah, so he no, got his no. speakers, and they got dual speakers, and he put one either side of his head, lay down on the pillow, turn the lights off, and hit play. And I just can't yeah. think of anything else that more sonically, you know, resembles how they wanted you to listen to Dark Side of the Moon, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, let's 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 call it a day here. Um, I don't know if you know this. I don't think you do, because I know I do the admin of this show. <laughs> Today is the 50th episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> We've done 50 episodes, man. Can Congratulations, you... brother. <laughs> Congratulations, man. Yeah, exactly. 50 episodes. I mean... <laughs> But that that seems like a relatively small number in terms of well, how many how, you know, I know how many vinyls have you got? Fifty. How many gigs have you been to? Fifty. How many you know how many how many pounds have you got? Fifty. It's like okay, it's just fifty. But episodes, man, they think all the it's research we do for each episode and all yeah. the time and effort we put into into sort of getting them out there to, to you guys. Fifty episodes, man. That's a great. That's a great job. So congratulations. Well, wish- I and mean, I think, yeah, so thanks for everyone who's been listening to it, because this, this is a show that, this is a podcast that wasn't meant to to happen, I guess. I think we, uh, you you came up with the idea, so uh, uh, hats off to you for encouraging me to do this. I, I was reluctant for many reasons. Uh, most uh, most of all, because I don't think my English is up to the standards for a podcast. But anyway, you encouraged me to do it, and um this came out of conversations we had in a car on tour talking about the albums we we wanted each other to listen to yeah, exactly. and so it's basically what we're doing we're recommending albums to people or trying to make them remember how great those albums are and also just remember that if if you're having a shit day just listen to a good album start to finish stop what you're doing put your headphones on listen to a great album start to finish great rock album that's going to make your day better you know whatever whatever your problem is music is the healer of the soul i genuinely believe that you know there's so many times there's there's times you know where i i'm not ashamed to admit that i've you know i've had mental health problems in the past few years and there's been particular songs that i've listened to where all your problems just go away because you know on a personal note to myself you know from myself there's times where you listen to a song and you think with so much beauty in the world, what have I got to feel sad about? And, you know, obviously it is justified to feel sad and feel depressed. A lot of people go through it. Men, women alike, young men, it's quite a big topic at the moment, but to have music there and to have that, to have one or two songs or an album that you go to whenever you're feeling a bit down, a bit low, and you just think, do you know what? Like for all the shit in my life, for all the, for, for everything that's going wrong, for everything I'm feeling upset about, I can always rely on this band or this album to make me feel better. Yeah. I think that's such a wonderful thing to have. And to know that it will always be there. Unless there's some mass Blade Runner type power (laughs) down where we lose all the files in the world, then you're always going to have it. Ah, Vinyl collectors. See see all these vinyls? That's what they're for. In case we have a mass power out, we got vinyls to make sure we never lose a song. Um, But yeah, man, you're right. Music is a great healer. And um, yeah, Uh, as Felipe said, we we, we do this show because we love music and it's brought so much joy in life, you know, professionally and personally as well. And thank you guys for joining us on this journey. 50 episodes. I can't quite believe that we're there. Um, Congratulations, Felipe. And here's here's to 100. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Let's keep, let's keep, let's keep going. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to stop. I'm having a great yeah. time. You know, me too, and me I, too. I hope, yeah. I, and apparently, a few people are having a great time because they had a few thousands of downloads, which is and uh, which true. is more than I ever expected to get from the show. Not, not saying that we're not, uh, you know, putting our hearts and souls into this, but sometimes you never know if people are going to like it. So, uh, for exactly. all of all of you guys who have been downloading and listening to it and streaming, uh, you know, just. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, yeah. if you don't know where to find us, I'm going to ask you this time, Lars. Where can you find the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast? On the internet. <laughs> Anywhere on the internet? <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to try to do a Felipe and say yes. Just use Google. Um, but no, seriously, we are on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You know, if you're seeing us now, you know we're on YouTube. We are at the Long Live RNR Pod. 
we bringing this to you for free we're an independent podcast we do it because of our love for the music this is our 50th episode so we'd like something from you as a 50th episode present to us could you guys please go and give us a review whether you're on apple podcast or spotify one review one review where you give us a little five star and a couple of words means we go up the algorithms people see us more often instead of typing in long live rock and we come up people just type in rock and roll and we come up people type in long live and we come up one review can make all the difference so we appreciate you guys tuning in every week or every two weeks to listen to us um, but it would mean the world of us would mean the world to us if you could just give us a short review um, and it's going to help us out so much so thank you once again guys for joining us thank you and keep on rocking everyone and as usual happy 50th episode and long live rock and roll <laughs>